Welcome to the Ephesians 3 podcast. Here you can listen to the student talks given at Ephesians 3, a weekly fellowship where students at Newman Parish in Columbia, Missouri, speak on topics of faith and experience fellowship and life-giving community. Based on the passage of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, the ministry seeks to lead students deeper in the Catholic faith through community, conversation, and prayer. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Thank you all for coming to Ephesians 3 tonight. Uh, Thank you also for coming to my Gloria talk. If you don't know who I am, my name is Marty Jaskowitz. Yeah, you are. I am a senior (laughs) biology student. That's how she's here. I am a senior biology student here at Mizzou, and I am a member of the Ephesians 3 team here at the Newman Center. Um, Some of you may know me as the guy who prays his sins sometimes. I did that this week. Um, Or the guy who was thrown up in the air in the NPR (laughs) and landed on his butt. (laughs) Or the guy who ate four raw eggs last week. If there's any confusion, those were real. just want to clear that. <laughs> and these are all great titles. Um, I like how they put an emphasis on my community involvement here. Um, but my favorite title, however, for myself and for all of you, is Child of God. Child of God. I like this title a lot because it does so much more than any other title to indicate our identity as creatures steeped in meaning, creatures steeped in importance, uh, creatures steeped in immense hope uh, and love. And so that's our collective identity here, children of God, um, and that is our reality. And it's on these topics of identity and meaning that I think my faith journey kind of revolves around, as I'm sure is the case with so many others, even in this room. And so I want to encourage you guys, as I'm speaking, to draw the connections between my story and yours, because I think the experience I'm about to relay is a shared one to an extent. And so a little bit about me. I'm Marty. I mentioned that. Um, I'm from St. Louis. I was raised Catholic, I like to play golf, I'm kind of lazy, I like to laze about, Um, and I like to make music. Um, The important thing to glean from that list though is that I was raised Catholic in St. Louis for the purpose of this talk. Um, And so that means I went to Catholic school my whole life. I did find out when I was preparing for the talk that my preschool was like non-denominational, but we're not, I'm just gonna go with it. (laughs) St. Lucas, my answer to the big St. Louis question, where did you go to high school? is St. Louis University High School. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Go Junior Bills. I love that place. I loved it when I was there. Uh, saluted a lot to foster this environment among the students of critical thinking and faithfulness. Um, and there were some bad apples. Some people did not exemplify those values. But me, I was insane. I was really, <laughs> I was so faithful. I was so faithful that I didn't need a prayer life. I was so faithful that I didn't need the sacraments. And so (laughs) you can probably tell already that I actually was not the greatest at these things, like faithfulness and critical thinking, um, but was one of the the bad apples myself. Um, And the truth was about my faith was that it wasn't really much more than a simple understanding of what Catholics believed, what I had learned in school all the way up to that point. Um, And that's how it was all through high school and really my whole life beforehand. I don't want to sell short, though, the impact my Catholic upbringing had on me. That was like the foundation of my, my moral values, and I was baptized, and so that has some serious ontological implications, um, whether I knew it or not. Uh, but the point is, I did not root my identity in Jesus, even after high school. Um, I did not think of myself first and foremost as a child of God. And then I'm thrown into college here at Mizzou, 
um, in this foreign land in the middle of the state called Colombia. I didn't know what that was. Um, and three things happened when I came here, three things that had never happened before. The first was I was away from my family for the first time. If you know me well, then you know that I still go back to St. Louis every other week because uh, I love my family. Um, I like to be with them. I'm, I'm very much a home buddy. Um, but also this meant that I, I felt that I had no guidance, nobody to go to, to talk to, ask questions about. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing, I really had no sense of direction for my life. Um, I was telling everybody that I was going to be a doctor, and I was taking those classes. I've been saying this since I was like seven. Um, but I really had no idea what was important in this world. And this means I really had nothing to base my life on. Um, and so I'm asking those kind of big questions regarding the meaning of life for the first time. And then uh, third and finally, I was surrounded by all these people who did not identify themselves with the religion. Um, my Catholic bubble had popped, so to speak, and that was very new for me. And that got me thinking about the necessity of my Catholic faith, um, because all these people seem to be living just fine without it. Why did I need it? And more than that, was it even true? Was that something that was reality? Um, and so, and something I want to make clear is that I wanted to hold on to my Catholic faith. Um, I really generally liked what the faith taught, and it was comforting, like things like I was saved by Jesus and that he loves us and loves me specifically. That's awesome. Um, but I still wanted an answer to the question, was it all true? And so the first thing I tried to do was test God. I would demand from him, like a sign from heaven. I wanted him to come to my dorm room and just give me the thumbs up. He'd be like, yeah, you're Catholic. You're doing the right thing. Um, and as you may have guessed, I got no such sign. Um, and any signs that he may have tried to give me, um, they, weren't really, they weren't really satisfactory to me. And I probably didn't even notice them. So the second thing I tried to do, I have a lot of lists in this talk. I'm lying, that's the last one. Um, <laughs> the second thing I tried to do was I started addressing some of the intellectual questions about my faith. Um, and so these are things like, why do I go to Mass? Or what is the Eucharist? Um, or like sacred tradition, why should I subscribe to that? Um, these are things I was thinking about at the beginning of my freshman year. And I wasn't actually doing any research on these questions. Uh, and I was instead using my best approximations to answer them, which was a huge mistake. Don't do that. Like, read a book. Um, because we have, we, have, we have such a breadth of knowledge today. And you shouldn't answer these questions alone. Um, I came up with all these lies. Uh, for example, I don't know why I should go to Mass, and so I won't. I can't understand the Eucharist, and so it must be fake. Um, and I don't get why, why humans should be able to say anything for God, and so I'll just ignore all sacred tradition. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> that went poorly. <laughs> and I kept doing it. Uh, I thought maybe if I found something that I, I could answer um, sufficiently, then I could hang on to the faith, but what actually happened was by the end of my freshman year, I could honestly say that I didn't believe in a higher power. Um, I didn't believe that a God could exist. I couldn't feel him or I couldn't see him. And so he just, he, there's no way he could have been there. And so freshman year ended and I entered into this fun, distraction-filled summer. Um, and I wasn't thinking very much at all about my new kind of atheistic worldview. It wasn't much of a bother. Um, it just wasn't on my mind. But then I came back to Columbia. Um, this is the COVID year, the, the fully online year. Uh, everybody's trying to semi-quarantine. There's not much hanging out going on, not much fun going on in general. And uh, I just had so much free time on my hand. And I had this question, I'd ask myself, what should I do today? And the answer that I came up with, which was kind of educated by my new godless view of the world, uh, was it doesn't matter, uh, do whatever you want. Which is kind of fun at first, uh, maybe for like a week or a month. And so I chased these mind-numbing, short-term pleasure pursuits, um, and they didn't fill me. Instead, they kind of 
uh, brought me emptiness. And they just showed me like this nothingness that I believed and that shoved it in my face because this is what you were trying to escape from in doing that. Um, and then the question of what I should do with my days eventually turned into what should I do with my life? Because I was a sophomore, um, I need to get things figured out. I'm still doing the pre-med thing, but I don't know if that's really what I want to do. Um, and so I asked that question, what should I do with my life? And then the answer, of course, again, was it doesn't matter what you do with your life. Just do whatever you want. Um, and so I decided I would chase the money. I would do the oral surgery thing. Um, and then for the remainder of my sophomore year, I started to build up um, my pre-dental resume. I was studying hard. I was shadowing. I was securing jobs for the summer. And as it progressed through the end of the year and through the end of the summer, I grew to really not want to do dentistry at all. Um, but I felt very trapped uh, because I'd already made so much progress towards, towards doing the dental school thing. And so this freedom that I thought I had, do whatever you want, was actually becoming more and more like a prison. Um, I just I didn't feel that I could do anything else. Um, I was limited by my insecurities. I was limited by my uncertainties. And I had this now looming feeling of existential fear and sadness um, because, yeah, I was just faced with this question of nothingness. It doesn't matter what you do with your life. Um, and that's how I entered my junior year. Super great start. Um, and I had grown accustomed to living in this meaningless and emptiness. And the hope I once had that things would eventually get better was fading. I also began to feel that none of my suffering mattered uh, because, again, without God, the world's meaningless. Uh, so junior year continues, and I continue to get worse and worse and worse. Um, and I dig myself more into this hole. And I had a little bit of a reprieve when the winter break came around. Uh, nothing fails to cheer me up like having Christmas with the family. I'm sure that's relatable. Uh, it's like my favorite time of the year. Uh, but when the break ended and I returned back to Columbia, uh, I had never been worse interiorly um, because that juxtaposition between my family and all these distractions and then here, and I'm faced with these questions again. Um, it was so great. And it was about one or two weeks after the break ended when I started to have serious questions about the meaning of my own life. Um, pretty scary uh, questions. Um, so some sort of like suicidal ideation, like was it worth living in the first place? What did it even matter if I didn't wake up tomorrow? Would anybody care? Um, and it was these questions that scared me so much that I became desperate for something, anything, uh, to hold on to for dear life. It really felt life and death in those moments. And so one night when I was at my worst, I turned to the only place that I was told could hold answers to the questions that threatened to destroy me, and that's the Bible. And so I got out my Bible. I have one of the, I have this like blue ottoman where the lid comes off and I can like put books in it. And uh, I love that thing. I put my feet on it. Uh, but I also stored my Catholic youth Bible. <laughs> I put my feet on it. I stored my Catholic youth Bible from high school. And I get out this Bible and I'm holding it and I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at it. There's no way this thing can help me because this kind of represented uh, everything that I perceived at the time to be just lies about this world, lies that I was taught growing up. Um, but again, I was desperate. And so I opened the Bible and the page that I happened to flip to was a page in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. And uh, in the chapter was a header in bold, and it read, the demand for a sign. And so I'm thinking to myself, uh, this seems kind of like what I've been doing anyway. It's very reminiscent of what I did freshman year. Um, and I, I kind of wanted a sign in this moment. And so I've got a slide with the, with the thing on it. There it is. Cool. Um, and then it goes like this. The Pharisees came forward and began to argue with him, Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed from the depth of his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Amen, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got into the boat again, and went off to the other shore. And I'm reading this passage in this moment where I want this sign, and I'm immediately, utterly dissatisfied. Um, I'm like, well, yeah, they asked for a sign, and he just left them. 
Why wouldn't he just do it? Isn't he God anyway? And I really felt a lot of myself asking those questions for the Pharisees. Um, and I was ready to close the Bible. I wanted to burn the thing because I was just so upset. Um, and I had this movement in my heart to continue praying with the passage. And I had nowhere else to go anyway. And as I started considering the passage more and praying with it, um, doing kind of like what I didn't know at the time was very much Lexio, um, I began to realize something about the person of Christ that I never considered before. And that is that Jesus was so secure in his own truth that he proclaimed for everybody um, that he didn't need to prove himself to the Pharisees. He was so secure that what he knew was real was real. He didn't need to prove himself, not to the Pharisees. And I, using that same, same logic and kind of by extenuation, I began to realize that he doesn't have to prove himself to me either. Um, and that's not really how he wants that relationship to work, if Jesus were real. And I recognized the security that Jesus had, and I desired it for myself. Um, I wanted to gird myself with something like what Jesus had um, against the evils that were terrorizing me. Um, and I didn't know at the time, but this thing that I wanted so bad, uh, it's called faith. Uh, it's huge faith. Um, and when I was preparing to give this talk, I was reading uh, the Catechism and seeing what it had to say about faith. And I got to uh, paragraph 156, and it goes like this. I've got another slide. There it is. It's cool. Um, and it goes, what moves us to believe is not the fact that revealed truths appear as true and intelligible um, in the light of our natural reason. Uh, we believe because of the authority of God himself who reveals them. And so there's this description in the catechism that faith is a gift from God, nothing else. We can't think our ways to it. Um, we can't create it for ourselves. Um, it's, it's freely given from God. But you can lose it. Um, and I didn't have it at the time. Um, and so back to the story. Um, I'm thinking about this thing, this thing that I later came to know as faith, and I wanted it. And I decided I was going to look at the ceiling, which was the best approximation I had for what God would be relative to me at the time. And I, and I said, I'm going to say, I believe in God out loud. And it took me about a minute to work up the gall, the audacity to say those words, because I did not believe them. Um, in a minute, it doesn't seem like a long time, but it's like 60 seconds, just like staring at my ceiling. And I just can't do it. But I eventually I did, and so I could. <laughs> and as soon as I did this, uh, as soon as I said those words, I believe in God, my whole being was filled with this love that was unmistakably the Holy Spirit, uh, freely given by the Holy Spirit, freely given by God. I felt it physically, emotionally, mentally. I felt it in my soul, which is how I kind of first learned that I had one. I had never felt something that deep before. And in that moment, the world went from a place that I had no interest remaining in uh, to a place that I couldn't wait to get back to. The world made sense at the snap of a finger, and I just, it was a huge gift from God. Uh, and it was just a radical transformation, complete 180 um, in that moment. And that moment marked the start of a spiritual high uh, that lasted about two to three months. Um, it was super immense, um, the feelings I was feeling over oh, those two to three months. It was crazy. Um, it didn't take that long, however, for it to start changing my life. Um, about a week after this conversion event, Father Joseph Hill, uh, who was here last week, uh, he came uh, around this time last year and invited me out to breakfast. And I just, I eagerly accepted that invitation. I go to breakfast with him and I am just telling him all these things that I've been through this journey that I just experienced. And he's got all these affirming and encouraging things to say um, to me. And he's asking me, um, why aren't you involved with the Catholic Student Center here? And uh, I said, I don't know. But the truth is I had this perception uh, that I carried from grade school, I think from like Luke 18's, that uh, all the student-led faith groups would just be super superficial, um, not really genuine, kind of just for show. Um, but anyway, he gave me a focused missionary's number, Jackson Paracy, right over there. Gave me his contact information. <laughs> and I joined Jackson's Bible study. 
um, because I respected Father Hill uh, and I trusted what he had to say for me. And so God really worked through Father Hill in that moment. And I get to this Bible study and it, it, it immediately became apparent to me that the Newman Center here uh, was not a superficial thing, but instead would be the foundation for the most fulfilling relationships I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and I met through the Bible study, finally, a group of guys who shared the same desire for relationship with Jesus that I did. I had never known that before. Uh, before long, the Bible study was like Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Uh, and Ephesians 3 happened right after that. And so I was attending some Ephesians 3 events. It didn't take long and I applied for Ephesians 3. Um, I had no idea what I was getting into and I loved it. Um, and basically this last year and a couple months of my life has been filled with unprecedented movement, transformation, and just like actual living, um, which is something I just like hadn't done uh, up to that point in a while. Um, in that time, Jesus took me from a place again where I didn't desire to be here anymore to a place that I just, I never want to leave. I love the world now. Um, and that pretty much brings me to now, um, where I'm here telling you guys this story tonight and that the Lord is still working in my life in so many ways. Um, I'll probably, instead of doing the dental school thing next year, I'll be teaching high school for a year. I might be doing the missionary thing after that. And I have a, like a true desire to investigate um, a vocation to the Catholic priesthood in the future. And so it's just, it's just crazy. Um, this faith and this idea of God that I so detested is now something that is radically at the center of my life and is, is deciding all the, all the things for me. Um, he's also been revealing to me, the Lord, as I prepared for this talk, especially all the ways he was present in my life pre-conversion um, and simple things that I didn't bother to consider back then. Um, but like, I have a loving family. I have loving friends that, I could, that care for me and I could relate to. And really the whole time, I just, I had it all. I had everything anybody could possibly want. I had so many gifts. I just needed God to teach me uh, how to receive them. Um, and I have to level with you guys. Faith hasn't remained just some easy thing that I can take for granted. Because uh, faith is a gift, like I said, and you can lose it. That's what happened to me the first time. Um, but I do have prayer that runs dry. I have days that I just can't wait to get over with. Um, people I disagree with have to compromise with, all of the above. Um, I even have difficulty believing from time to time. Uh, but the difference now is that in the moments I suffer, or even in the moments that I find great joy, um, I know that those suffering, and I know that that joyfulness has just incredible meaning and importance, and that's what makes all the difference nowadays. It goes from something that brought me emptiness to something that just like fulfills me without end. And so we are united to Christ through these moments of suffering, um, and likewise, these moments of joyfulness, and that union is only possible through faith. Without faith, you experience these things, and they don't bring you any closer to God. But when you have faith and you trust that he, he loves you, cares for you, then he'll, he'll draw you right in. Um, and so I urge every last one of you to never forget uh, to thank God for the faith he has gifted you, to, if you feel like you're lacking faith, to ask for it. God will freely give it, at least to the extent that you're willing to receive it. Um, and never forget your identity as his children that he cares deeply for and he loves there's a Bible verse that's coming to my head right now. Um, I don't know how it goes, but it's, it's the one where it's like, oh, God makes sure the birds of the air has a nest. Um, how much more he'll make sure that we have a home with him, um, that we can be saints with him. Um, this is all very possible, but only through faith. Um, and so to, to wrap it up, Jesus is for real. Faith is a gift. <laughs> um, amen. Thank you for coming to my Gloria talk. <laughs>